0: Awesome. So, Shep, uh, we're going to begin with the big questions uh, and not waste any time here. Uh, it would be great to just talk about what customer centricity means to you. Uh, it's a loaded topic and I feel like there's, a, there's a, an answer. Every individual has a different answer of what it means in the industry. So it'd be great to like, listen to uh, your perspective.
1: Sure. And real simple, I mean, whether I I like to refer to it as customer focused, uh, although customer centricity is fine. Essentially, any company that is truly customer centric puts the customers at the heart of every decision they make. And they always ask, regardless of what, if they're going to change a process, if they're going to add a product, take away a product, change the color of a product, change the price of a product, add a service, whatever. The question is how will the customer respond to this? Or how will, the, how will this impact the customer? And it may be negative, but it also may be necessary, such as when you raise prices, you know customers aren't gonna be happy. But when you understand the reason why behind it, it makes sense that you may have to do it anyway. And at times you might even share some of that type of information with your customer, the why behind what we do. But the point is, every
0: decision that's made keeps the customer in mind. Absolutely. Uh, it's something that if, if you don't master, like from the onset, like I feel like a lot of companies fall into traps, like as we've seen in, in COVID times and it's what makes you like push through. Uh, absolutely. And in, in creating that, uh, it's almost like a company culture, right? So in creating that, how do, how do companies go about building that culture if they don't have it yet? And once they have it, or for the ones that do have it already, how do they maintain it through tough times, through you know different periods? Sure.
1: Well, I mean, there's a, a several questions here, but let's let me give you a, a process that we take our clients through, and I call it six simple steps. Simple does not mean easy. Uh, number one is you define what your vision for customer experience or customer service is going to be. I like a one sentence definition or less. It can be Three words, four words. Uh, For example, uh, the Ritz-Carlton is nine words. We're ladies and gentlemen serving ladies and gentlemen. Our company is three words, always be amazing, and that's be amazing to our clients and teach our clients to be amazing to their customers and clients. Um, And then uh, once you define it and it's very clear, and by the way, this is not an easy task to – this is different than your vision and your mission statements. This is simply uh, related to customer service and experience, one sentence – that allows people to say, I get it. Now, you must communicate it properly. That's number two. Number three, you must train everybody to it. And I mean everybody. And training isn't something you did, it's something you do. So there's some ongoing training to it. Number four is uh, that your, your executives and your leadership and even your management, anybody that has people reporting to them, they act as role models and showcase what this experience is supposed to be. Number five, is that these leaders keep everyone in alignment? Could be one person, could be a department out of alignment, could be an entire region if it's a worldwide huge company. Uh, and the leader's job is to make sure everybody stays focused and in alignment. And finally, number six, you celebrate when it works. You let everybody know they're doing a great job. So you define it, communicate it, train to it, be a role model. Uh, and demonstrate it. Number five is to uh, defend it when it needs to be defended. Keep everybody in alignment. Number six is uh, to celebrate when it works. Amazing. That's the fastest I ever shared those six steps.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, efficiency everywhere, right? Uh, It's important. And I I believe, I'm a strong believer in frameworks as well. Um, If you don't master the frameworks and if you, it doesn't scale, right? Like you can have great processes and everything, but you need these frameworks to actually help uh, scale. Right. Uh, and yeah, and that brings us to the next interesting question, which are the biggest challenges in both building and maintaining uh, customer focus. Uh, how like, even once you're efficient and you have those frameworks and everything and people that are aligned, what type of challenges do you think comes with building and maintaining uh,
1: customer focus? Sure. let me give you an example by just looking at one aspect of it. Let's talk about training, for example. Uh, people think, well, when you come on board, you you come to work for us, we'll put you through our training program, and you're going to go through X number of hours, or maybe it's even weeks of onboarding training. Part of that is, in my world, customer service. So part of that is customer service and experience. You know, we've trained them. And then that's the last training they get on customer service and experience. And I use that word training pretty loosely. I believe that once a week, if you want to do it once a month, I think that's a little too far out, but once a week to spend five minutes as part of a meeting discussing what went well, what stories you heard that were great, things that you heard that popped up that were problems that you're going to show everybody and share it with how to eliminate or mitigate. I mean, you have these ongoing discussions that keep it front of mind. I think it's very easy for companies to get very distracted and forget to do that or just say we don't have time to do it. Uh, I mentioned the Ritz-Carlton's mantra Earlier, Or they call it their credo or their, I don't know, whatever. I, I call them mantras, um, one sentence or less. The Ritz-Carlton, everybody, when they come to work, they understand what that credo is. And then there are 24 gold standards that drive that. And each day... And it doesn't matter whether you're in the Ritz-Carlton where I live in St. Louis, Missouri, whether you're in London where you are or, you know, you mentioned you, you, Portuguese so, or Brazil. Is that where you say you were from Brazil. originally, Brazil? Yeah. If there's a Ritz-Carlton in Brazil. You will experience the same gold standard on that day. 24 days in a row. You come to work at the beginning of your shift. Your manager has a pre-shift meeting. And part of what's discussed is the gold standard, hence training. They may spend two minutes on it. And then they do it the next day. At the end of 24 days, they've gone through all 24, and guess what they do on day 25? They repeat, and they start over again. At the end of a year, everybody's heard it about maybe close to 10 times. They've heard these different gold standards in year after year after year, and it's ingrained in their brain. And they get
0: it, and they understand it, and they, they live it,
1: and they, they deliver.
0: Amazing, yeah, it feels like, yeah, it's almost like a meditation. So that idea of like just making sure that you have the discipline every time. Um, And I think that's exactly the right word. Discipline. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, Fantastic. No, thank you for that. Uh, Now just uh, like branching out uh, from these macro type questions, it would be great to talk about tools, uh, tools in the SCX space, like primarily, um, Broadly specific, however, we can we can we can dive into them. Uh, but it'd just be interesting you as a sex professional, as one of the most respected and top people in the sex uh, space. What type of tools do you use and you admire? That um, yeah, what what type of tools do you look up to?
1: So you know, be, I am a uh, you know, I guess a thought leader in the industry. If that's a term that others have given me, an expert in the industry. So I personally, don't implement the AI and the CX features and, and uh, tools that at larger companies that have customer support departments. I'm a brand agnostic, if you will, and that I won't specifically mention one brand over another, but I'll tell you what I enjoy seeing most. Um, the tools that are best out there, especially digital tools, they allow a customer to seamlessly transfer to a human being. So if I'm talking on a chat bot, if I'm in a virtual a response system. Uh, all I need to do to get out is hit a number, or maybe even the system recognizes they're not answering my question based on my responses and says, Let me get you over to an agent right away. And then I don't have to start all over again. The agent can see what I've been doing because the system delivered to the agent who I am, and I'm already pretty much authenticated, if you will. Maybe one extra question, but you don't have to send me through the whole process all over again. Uh, I love, I love that continuity, call it omni-channel continuity. Um, I, I really love to see um, the CX really come from the inside where it's more EX, which is employee experience. We can actually take tools like a chatbot and set it up to support the agent and not the customer. And by supporting the agent, the chat bot can listen in on the conversation or the agent can type some basic questions and the chatbot can give back suggestions, and then human to human, uh, the agent talks to the customer and shares uh, with empathy and some type of enthusiasm, maybe uh, how to best, you know, give this answer uh, that the chatbot's given, and it just humanizes the whole experience. So I believe that's those are good uses of these tools, and the ones that are capable, like in a chatbot, the ones that are capable of recognizing customer confusion that automatically flips it to the customer or says, hey, I'm not sure I'm getting this. Would you mind if I pass you on to an agent? Ask that. I mean, I think that's a a great way to go. The customer is going to be very, very happy that that happens. Also, companies need to give customers self-service solutions because some customers want that. And we need to teach them where they are and how to use them properly so they get the most out of what we do.
0: Absolutely. Uh, If I can like just follow up that because I think it's an interesting uh, thing, uh, an interesting debate. What do you think about like humans, uh, human centered technology, right? So uh, these chatbots that connect you to humans and agents and stuff that help you versus just uh, uh, machine learning, AI-centered uh, technology. How do you mm-hmm. think about those two in the world today? I, I
1: think that uh, the latter is uh, greatly improving. Just year over year, every year, I'm amazed at the improvements that the technology makes. It's not perfect yet. I think the uh, AI skills of a, of a true interactive chatbot are still minimal and that they can handle simple requests like, Where's my, you know, you, you, people who are listening don't realize, but I have an Amazon Echo and I can ask the Echo, where's my, where's my shipment? You know, um, you know, what's the weather today? I mean, it can answer very rudimentary questions. Uh, I can be talking to my bank, uh, you know, through AI and, you know, find out what my balance is. I can find out if a shipment's uh, gone out and track the shipment. But if I got a really difficult question to ask, probably not going to be able to handle it. So um, I think that the companies that figure out where that point is and find the balance between online or digital and direct, uh, I think that those are the ones that win. Absolutely. Fantastic
0: insights, no? Absolutely. Um, Awesome. Uh, In in that sense, um, like diving, uh, like still in the tools uh, like arena, uh, I'd like to jump, like, talk, to talk about more about the problems that CX professionals uh, face. So, from your from your experience in the space, what type of problems do you do you encounter, uh, recurringly, or that you see peers like facing that you feel like tools are maybe lacking for uh, sure. for for them to uh, solve? Yeah,
1: a couple of things. So many times, solutions are 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 implemented that are great for the customer, but add a layer of difficulty to the agent which really frustrates the agent and can actually work the reverse effect that you want on the customer when they finally do talk to an agent so that's one thing to consider Uh, the other thing is that um, multiple programs as opposed to the the programs that claim a single pane of glass which means it's all on your 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 desktop and a dashboard Uh, i don't believe i believe today uh, you can have multiple programs, but they must be integrated in such a way that it's seamless. Uh, I can't remember what the number was. I wrote about this probably about a year and a half ago in one of my Forbes columns that had the number of times an agent switches screens to move to a different program in a day. is like it's not in the you know, tens. It's not even in the hundreds. It could be in the thousands. You know, In an hour, you might switch 80, 90, 100 times between different programs, that's just hard work on the agent's part, you know? Now, I'm not suggesting that there is a, there, and by the way, there are solutions out there that may be able to handle everything, but the best solutions that are out there will also be able to bring in uh, and interact and interface with other solutions to create that seamless solution for the agent.
0: Awesome, yeah, absolutely. So you, you see like uh, the ability to integrate uh as a key a key factor in the solutions yep. of the future
1: integration to get to close enough to the single pane or or major one dashboard that's up there so absolutely awesome
0: no thank you for that uh great uh now just moving a bit outside of uh the cx space and just trying to understand who shep is more as a person uh like, how do, you stay, how do you stay on top of the game after all these years? Uh, how do you improve yourself? How, what type of resources, books, blogs, podcasts uh, are you consuming every day to, to become better and better?
1: Yeah, I wish I had time to listen to podcasts. I don't go, I mean, I walk to work every day and my walk is literally 200 and some odd steps out the front door of my apartment building to two buildings over. So I don't have time to listen to a, a blog. Uh, But what I do is uh, read about 15 plus 20 articles or so every single day. Um, I also read books. Uh, You can't see, uh, but if if, you look at my video over there, I've got a stack of four or five books. I've got a stack over here. I just order more and I just read books and people send me books all the time too. I read about, mm, on a good year, I'll read 40. You know, Uh, when i I'd say it's harder. I'm, I'm traveling virtually non-existent travel, but I always used to on the way to whatever engagement I'm doing, if it's a speaking engagement on the way there, I study and I look at my notes and I rehearse my speech in my head and work on whatever I have to work on for the client. But On the way home, I always read and I try to read um, one fiction book for every three business books that I do. But business books, I get through pretty quickly. I can do a business book on one trip. And so um, you know, doing, you know, 40 business books a year is, is not out of the question. Now, if it's a great book, it will take me a couple of weeks to get through the whole book. But if it's a good book, just a good book, I'll go through it probably on one, you know, I'll probably get through a 250, 300 page book in a few hours. So. Amazing. Yeah, amazing. I'm a big Plus, athlete. I go to, I listen to you guys. I listen to, <laughs> I go to conferences and I listen to other speakers. I'm missing that right now. Um, so that's really been a, a source of creativity and insight for me that I'm missing right now, but I can't wait to get back to live events. Even the ones that I speak on, I like to listen to the other speakers. Uh, I learn a tremendous amount from them.
0: Absolutely. I feel a lot of people have been missing that and they try to find this creative outlet or this, this, um, this self startedness in other areas, right? So you see a lot of people now starting podcasts, a lot of people starting. Uh, YouTube channels and stuff to get that, uh, yeah, yep. that out. Uh, yeah, well,
1: but no, I, like we have a podcast and the number one reason I do my podcast, uh, that, well, so number three reason is it's exposure. But, you know, really, I mean, so nice exposure. Number two is it's something for us to promote. But number one, I get to hang out for 30 minutes with a really smart person and pick their brain and ask them questions and learn about what they're reading and writing and, and uh, doing with their company, so.
0: Exactly meeting of the minds here, because mine is the same purpose, absolutely, <laughs> so I'm just taking this opportunity exactly just to learn from you, and no, it's fantastic and i I love something that you mentioned there that like in the trips you you rehearse in your head the speeches and stuff, and it links back like uh, we're going to talk about the key skills of cX professional soon, but one of them is communication, right the ability to communicate both verbally and and uh in speech. Uh, what type of uh, what's your ritual in preparation for your for your big speeches and everything that you're famous for and how do you prepare how do you sure how do you build the confidence? Um, it is pretty much a ritual.
1: Um, I I I mean, in the perfect world, and whether or not causing me delays and me like barely making it uh, to wherever I'm supposed to be or getting it at a reasonable hour, uh, there's a couple of things that number one I believe three important criteria for success of any speaker is to number one know your material. Uh, and I work very hard to understand the client and what I'm supposed to do and what my goals are. I actually, early on, I, I have a pre-programmed questionnaire and there's several questions like, you know, what are the three key points you want the audience to, to know when I'm finished based on what they know what I'm going to be talking about. So uh, I like to ask what success criteria looks like. I do it in the form of a, a futuristic type of question. If we were to get together a year from now, what would have had to have happened for you to feel that the time that I spent on stage with this audience was successful? You know, what is that big outcome? Um, I wanna know uh, as much as I can about the company. So I go through, I guess, the pre-work, the pre-speech. Uh, uh, sometimes I'll have several, several calls. I'll, I may call customers uh, just to have insight. And I may only be doing a 30-minute speech, but I'll spend hours making sure that they get the right information. Once I've given that outline uh, to the client and they approve what I'm going to be doing, I then, uh, when I'm on the airplane, I'm, I'm working on it, going over it in my head, always the night before looking at the notes. First thing in the morning when I wake up, I look at that outline in those notes. My goal is to have the entire speech, even, no matter how long it is. It could be three hours long. And I've done three-hour speeches with a couple of breaks in the middle. But I want every point that I'm going to make in an outline to fit on an index card or maybe one sheet of paper at the most. Big letters so I can spot it, you know, if I need to look down. If I know my content well enough, I just need one word to trigger. And so uh, I, I, up until a couple of years ago, didn't even use slides. I now use slides not for my benefit, but for the audience. But it, it, I need to know what's coming up on the next slide anyway, and sometimes you can't see that. But uh, if I, so the point is this. I know my, I, 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 prep well, but number three points, I know my content,
0: I know my audience and then I know myself. Absolutely. No, that's fantastic. It's inside beyond. Like, uh, I just learned a ton here for my own role for, I'm sure like, uh, our listeners will learn for their own roles as well. This type of ritual and this type of systematic approach to, to our, to the problems of our daily life, to our tasks. Is invaluable right that's how you that's it compounds and that's how we actually uh make big change in whatever we're trying to accomplish yeah um, I mean, if you stayed
1: out all night last night and you got up to do this oh. you know interview today the energy might be off you know i went Absolutely. to bed last night reasonable you know i've got three of these today to
0: do i'm very so. thankful that things have been changing oh, no. now with the idea of yeah. uh wellness and people understanding how much right like the best nootropic is sleep right and people yep. you so absolutely uh yeah i'm very happy that that uh, people share that mentality um awesome yeah in terms of that like uh is there any person specific that you that you uh follow in the sex space that you admire uh, that you like a mentor or or peers that uh, you're always revisiting their work
1: sure Wow you know it's funny because I used to have lots of mentors, and now I seem to be the mentor for many and and but there's i don 't know how much I'd call them mentors, but they're people I collaborate with they're the minds that I respect and there's quite a few i don't want to leave anybody out but i mean um it's it's I just I love my my peers uh you know I talk to a lot of them on a regular basis, and you know one of my favorite guys jay bear uh uh you know uh, Jason Dorsey, um, Dan Gingus, um, you know, uh, James Dodkins, I, you know, Gene Bliss, uh, Lisa Ford, Mark Sanborn, Scott McCain. And I can go on and on with, uh, uh, you know, just, you know, John DeGelius. Yeah,
0: apologies I, for putting I, you in the I don't podcast. want to leave anybody <laughs> out. In- you know, I'm sorry. I put you, the best question would have been like, what's the, like the biggest podcast you always recommend to your friends and to colleagues. That would be a Yours. better one. Uh, I recommend
1: amazing business radio with Shep Hyken. (laughs) Uh, uh,
0: That's the, exactly, exactly. Never stop selling. And uh, no, absolutely. We're big fans. Um, and, uh, Dan Gingas, we had an amazing talk with Dan. Uh, I learned a ton from him. Like I'm sure you do as well. He's right there in the top as well. Always like keeping up to date with what's happening in the business world.
1: Yeah. Here's an example. Why Dan, why is Dan a great guy? look at Dan's history. I mean, he worked at Discover. He worked as the head social media guy worldwide at McDonald's. And and, uh, he worked for a major insurance company. I believe it was Humana. But anyway, the, you know, in doing digital marketing and social media in customer experience, and he understands it so well. Why? Because he did it, you know, And, and that's great. Me, I did some of it, But the last time I did it, you know, like where I was working and collecting a paycheck from somebody on an ongoing basis was pretty much just out of college, you know, and then they lay me off and what am I going to do now? You know, so I wrote, I started my own business with a passion for, uh, you know, based on what I loved more than anything in business. I built a business around that. Absolutely. And mentors back then, my mentors, unfortunately, have all passed away. Uh, Bud Dietrich, one of my favorite guys would probably be over hundred now. Um, he taught, he just gave me this one little insight in business that the job isn't doing a speech or doing a consulting gig or whatever. It's getting the speech and getting the consult and getting the client. Oh, that's great. He says, so 40 hours a week, you must spend building business, business development. You can work on your evenings and weekends, but during the day, Five days a week, you were on the phone talking to clients. This is before the internet. There was no internet when I started. Back in the day, I used to have to walk uphill both directions to school. No, I, and it always snowed. But <laughs> I digress. But, you know, it's, it's very important uh, that, you know, all these people influence mm-hmm. you and you listen to them and you appreciate them and you remember them. Kim Tucci and John Farrar, two of my closest friends, were some of my best mentors. Uh, and then, you know, there's business mentors who don't even realize you don't realize you're being mentored until you look back and say, oh, my God, I learned so much from them.
0: So you know? true. Yeah, absolutely. And one thing about the CX space that I see that is quite rare in other spaces is this community. Right. So they love to
1: share, you, don't they?
0: They love to share. And they're very they see that as like almost as a duty that everyone has to share the knowledge to each other. And I think that strengthens. Right. So you see a lot of that in in a few other industries that uh, that don't have that, but that the most successful people managed to get there because they had that close community to catalyze their learning process, which I think is like very rare to see, like in, you see in finance, we don't, there's nothing like that. Uh, in other, like, it's a it's very competitive and the sixth base, like, I think does there's a great service to the business world in that sense. So absolutely. Um, Great, Uh, Shep, thank you so much for that. Uh, Now we're just gonna, if we can talk about your career and uh, just talk like with the the young kids in mind that are thinking about career uh, in the CX space, are confused about it or want to learn more about it. So if we could just start like just talking about uh, a bit bit about uh, yourself and how you ended up in this career, uh, where you started and the main inflection points along the way. Yeah.
1: Uh, so I started I pretty much have been doing this since right out of college. Now, understand that I loved the idea of taking care of customers uh, from the very beginning. I had a magic show business. I was twelve years old. My parents taught me how to make those customers love me beyond having a good show, um, you know showing up early, staying a little bit late, writing thank you notes. Uh, calling a week before, confer- making them have confidence that everything was gonna go fine. And of course, everything did. Uh, I worked in, in retail uh, when I was in high school and college. I worked in a restaurant. I worked in nightclubs doing my entertainment. Uh, I used to, you know, the magic. I graduated from birthday parties to nightclubs. But I, I saw and understood that even though I was the entertainer, and people would so disagree with this in my business, if I saw a table was struggling, I would go over and help smooth out the situation I viewed myself as an ambassador of the club and that meant if I had to pick up a dirty dish off the table and put it away I was not beneath doing that Um, and I believe you just do what it takes to make that customer happy Um, so I had this in my blood so starting out um, I would say the advice is what is it that you want to do what is it that you're passionate about doing if you could do one thing in your job all the time and only do that, what would it be? You're probably never gonna find that job, but if that job has a big part of that, you're gonna be really, really happy. You know, somebody once said, um,
0: you know, love what you do and you'll never work a day in your life. I think that is a mantra too for everyone to to stick stick to. Very hard to, and it's so trivial, right? The most powerful, the most powerful uh, like pieces of wisdom are the simplest, right? Yep, uh, yep. It's up to us, uh, it's like up to us to follow them. Um, completely agree with everything, Chef. Uh, do you see any secrets to succeed in the Korean CX beyond, beyond the mentality and the mindset that you just spoke? Uh, is there a specific avenue that people take or yeah? Like-
1: I, I think any, any approach you have is a disciplined approach. Um, I'm a very disciplined person. For example, you know, I have a seven-day-a-week content marketing schedule that includes blogs, videos, podcasts, tweets, Instagrams, everything. Uh, you know, uh, major articles that I write. And people go, my God, you're so disciplined. Well, I believe discipline is the key. I think learning is a key. You know, uh, you asked me about how many books and, and that type of thing. Uh, mm-hmm. I think that if you want to be recognized as uh, somebody respected is An authority on what you do, read about it. If you are working in a job and there's plenty of books out there about what you do, read. Read as many as you can. At the end of a year, if you've read, you know, 10, 15 books, they're going to go, wow, that person's well read. At the end of a couple of years of doing that, that person's an expert. And eventually, if you do it for a number of years and you're really, really, you have this deep uh, depth of knowledge and breadth of knowledge, you'll be seen is a thought leader or, or an expert, world-class.
0: hundred um, percent, hundred percent. Yeah, good, great in terms of uh, these, are, these are skills in itself, but if we were to talk about like separating to soft skills and hard skills in the CX space, what would you say are the top hard skills that CX professionals need to have to succeed and the soft skills?
1: Well, I, I call the, the hard skills what I would call the technical side of service. Um, the soft skills are your empathy and your, your ability to communicate and, and uh, understand and feed back to the customer. So when you hire somebody, um, and this is really interesting, uh, Jim Bush, who used to be the senior vice president of American Express, he, they called him the customer service czar. Uh, he, worldwide, he was in charge of their whole program and he would come out with reports and writings, very well respected. So I interviewed him for one of my books. And I learned, he said, if I had a choice between somebody in the support center world, like call centers, customer service type work, and they had great experience working in a support center, or I could look at this candidate who'd never worked in a support center, but spent the last five years working at the front desk of a hotel, I'm going to take the person who worked at the hotel because they have the hospitality mentality. They have the, they have that empathy, they have that understanding, they have the ability to communicate. I will teach them the skills of using the software and flipping through screens and understanding what to do. But it's hard to get that, that soft skill. So um, I, I like to look at, you know, what, what really is personality or soft skill driven versus technical or hard skills. And uh, you need a balance of both. If, if, you, if you're a surgeon, you need to have gone to school to become a surgeon, but you could still have good bedside manner. And uh, people would say, well, I don't care about the bedside manner as long as I get the best surgeon. Yeah, but when you look at the surveys, not necessarily true. Absolutely.
0: Uh, in terms of those soft skills, do you think there's another way to get it other than experience? Do you think you can, well, yeah, you
1: can, you can be, you have a personality, a behavioral style, if you will. And and mm-hmm. you're born with that style or, or you're nurtured into that style. And it pretty much stays with you your entire life. And there are no right or wrong behavioral styles. There are right and wrong for a particular job. So if I, you know, I like the Myers-Briggs type, that's a really deep personality yep. profile, but you've got DISC, D-I-S-C, you've got uh, platinum rule. I like that one because it's so easy. But if I am a a platinum rule, I'm a director, let's say. Uh, If I am, I'm like, give me the facts, just the facts. I don't have time for all the soft stuff. Just give me the facts. I'm going to be a terrible person to interact with ongoing, hour after hour, day after day with customers. I might be good for an hour, but after that, I'm going to probably implode because it's not my personality to do so but I'm better at probably running things or working at, in a different position. Uh, so you can hire somebody with the right behavioral style. I think that's key.
0: Awesome. No, I completely agree. And it's great that you mentioned the Myers-Briggs test. It's fascinating uh, to see. Yeah. Uh, I got the architect. <laughs> so sure. I don't know what you got.
1: I'm, uh, I don't know what they call me, uh, but it's funny. I'm an ENT... Am I a J or something like that? Anyway. Yeah, I'm an INTJ. Yeah, exactly. Right, right. And it says, jobs you would be good for. A public speaker.
0: Oh, well, they nailed that (laughs) one, didn't they? (laughs) Absolutely, absolutely. Um, Amazing, chef! Thank you so much. Uh, And yeah, and so I think we covered all the skills that uh, the the young generation needs to focus on to excel customer service which I think is like the new generation for anything in business to be fair, because we're in the new generation of CX and UX, right? Before we had uh, the web and stuff and marketing. Now it's like, if you nail UX and CX, I, I, we at Chattermill, we believe that that's how you propel uh, your business forward um, in this new age. Uh, and just to finish our, our chat here, uh, it's a shame like uh, what has happened this year with, uh, uh, the crisis we've been living and we're still living through it. Uh, so it'd be a shame not to discuss that in, in the CX space as well. Uh, what type of problems do you do you see like companies facing as a result of the COVID crisis going forward? And how do you see them? How should uh, companies behave going forward to to improve? Uh, you no, know, I, I I think they, the, the word adaptability comes
1: to mind. And some companies adapted faster than others, but I'm seeing that most companies are figuring out I'm writing an article right now in Forbes that starts out, where am I going to eat in, in at the end of October? And I sh- could, should add, at the end of October when it starts getting cold. Because restaurants are being told uh, that they can only open to a very small percentage of capacity. Some places it's 50%. Some pa- places it's 25%. And how does a restaurant that that, you know, number one – Uh, They have to pay their rent, they've got to pay their people, and obviously they can cut their people, but they can't cut their rent. I I don't know unless landlords are extremely generous, and some are at this time. But I look at this and I think to myself, wow, some of those restaurants are going to go under, and many of them already have. But then there are others that seem to be doing okay. They may not necessarily be thriving, although some are. And I'm not talking about the fast food or quick serve restaurants. We're talking about real restaurants that you sit down in. Uh, mm-hmm. There is a restaurant, and I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hit, I think, three restaurants. One is right here in my hometown. It's a very popular hotspot. And on the summer, their patio is huge, and it's filled with people. Well, obviously, mm-hmm. they now say you can't walk around anymore. You have to sit at a table, and those tables are distanced properly. Okay, So they've probably lost a big chunk of their business. Uh, so what he did also is he expanded from the patio into his parking lot. And now he can actually handle quite a few more people sitting than originally he had planned. So I asked him the other day, winter's coming, what's going to happen? He says, winter, I'm always slower than the summer because we have to move everybody inside. And now I'm only allowed to have a percentage of my customers. So what I'm going to do is I've already rented a large bubble that's going to go over the outside. He's going to have to distance his tables a little bit further apart because it will be considered an inside place, even though there's a bubble. But he said, I'm actually going to have more seating capacity than I had before. Why didn't I think about this years ago? (laughs) Is that great? Okay. I have another. uh, So there's a restaurant up in New York, very, very famous, three-star Michelin, highest rated restaurant, one of the top chefs in the world. And I've watched him go from, wow, what am I going to do, shutting down? And we're talking about the most expensive meals to curbside delivery where Rolls-Royces and Bentleys would pull up, chauffeur-driven, and the customer, the guest, would order their food to be delivered to their car, where they would sit there and eat it, rather than go home and eat it. So at least- Brave New world, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And, And granted, it's not nearly as many people. He's delivering meals to the Hamptons, you know, two hours away, but they're very expensive. He actually got a food truck and experimented with a food truck. Is that crazy? Another friend of mine who's in the restaurant business in New York, a gentleman who started Nobu uh, with Chef Nobu and with Robert De Niro and famous actor. And he has another restaurant called, um, oh gosh, uh, Batar, which is their high end restaurant. And then <coughs> uh, another great restaurant. I can't believe I'm drawing a blank on the name. Anyway, it doesn't matter. You know, I listened to him uh, talk about the industry. I'm going to call him and ask him. And he said, you know, uh, there's no reason why people can't drive up and, and have sit in their cars because New York is so slow right now and nobody's driving around like they were before. There's plenty of, you know, we can line 10, 20 cars up. They can be a family in a car. We can bring a tray of food, set it down and serve them in their own cars, you know, in addition to the restaurants. So um, it's just, it just, it amazes me the creativity. One of my friends in the restaurant business uh, was told he had to shut down completely, but he noticed that grocery stores were staying open and they were serving hot food that you can pick up. So he said, you know what, obviously that's curbside, but what about if I started selling the ingredients that go into my food with the recipes? And he became a small food market. So he got to stay open and keep his employees. People call it pivoting And I, I used to call it pivoting up until recently, but when you pivot here, I'm going to pivot for you and you tell me what you see, you know, I know we're on video. What did you just see? You saw my back. You know, when you pivot, you turn your back on something. So why not say, let's not pivot. Let's just be, you know, Uber flexible and be able to consider other opportunities.
0: Yeah. Being resourceful, right? Like that's, that it's that uh, idea of like desperation really forces you to be resourceful and creative. Wow, I, I'm I'm blown away by the examples you brought. Uh, like I had no idea. Like the very creative by using his own his own house and his own garage as a as a place of business and everything. It it just ingrains this like skin in the game that I feel like a lot of people didn't have before. Or yep. some people didn't have access to that, right? And you, if, if we are all able to tap into that even more, I think good, good things can come from, from, this, uh, from the, this hardship that, that we're facing.
1: Yeah, I, um, I, uh, people say, I was asked recently on a call, uh, there were a number of, of people who do what I do for a living and we we're sitting around a group. They said, you know, we'd like before we begin, just as a reflective exercise, what are you most grateful for right now in your life? And people were saying, I'm grateful for my family. I'm grateful, you know, even though COVID was bad, there was some, I got, I was forced to spend time at home and that turned mm-hmm. out to be a good thing. And I said, you know, um, I'm just going to be straight out and say it, you know, I'm, I'm, I wish it never had happened, but hey, I'm grateful that COVID happened. But bear with me. It isn't about the death and the ugliness of the disease. It's about what it forced me to do and forced me to think about uh, I got to spend 11 weeks with my daughter who came in from New York. She was furloughed, and she lived with us for 11 weeks. When is that ever going to happen again with one of my grown children? You know? And my other daughter came in for three weeks, and my son came in for quite a while. And it was great to be able to experience that, but it also really forced me to change my business. Uh, granted, I'm still talking about the same things and doing the same things. I just have a completely different delivery system of doing it. Uh, I am no longer getting on a stage in front of thousands of people, yet today uh, I was paid to do a virtual presentation in front of hundreds of people virtually, and when I do a virtual Mm -hmm. presentation, it's not a talking head. I've got great visuals. I've got motion that I bring into it. I've got, you you know, again, people are, are, I've got this little box over here that allows me to switch camera angles and slide, add slides, and And you're you're watching more of a TV show than just a talking head. And I was forced to do that, and it's a new skill. I love it. Uh, It's a little bit different business model, so that's kind of fun. Breaks the monotony of the last, I don't know how many years. Next year, uh, probably toward the end of next year, things will start to look normal again. That's my prediction. By 2021, uh, or actually 2022, the following year, uh, I'd say business uh, if, if, I don't, if I go back to 100% of what I used to do before COVID, it'll look a lot like 2019. But Here's the difference. Virtual presentations, for years I've been doing them, maybe 15 a year. Well, now I'm going to be doing 15 a quarter in addition to all the other work that I have. So I have to wait it out, but I think I'll be financially more successful long term as a result of all this happening. And I'm a very optimistic but realistically optimistic guy. Uh, so I look for the opportunity and the good and everything, and if there's bad, I try to figure out how to work around it, um, and hack it, and and try to get it out of my life if possible.
0: <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. I think that's uh, it's a great note to end. Uh, just always try to focus your perspective on the things that you can change, right, and the things that you can't. Just try to look at it in another prism. Um, yeah. Shep, thank you so much for your time, for this lesson, this masterclass that you just gave uh, me and our whole audience, I'm sure. Uh, Oh, my pleasure. pleasure It's my pleasure. uh, Yeah. (laughs) Thank you so much.